Inside Jobs, Facial Recognition, and the S in IoT still stands for security. All that and more on the Naked Security Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I am Doug Ameth. He is Paul Ducklin. Paul, how do you do today? Very well, Doug. You know your catchphrase. We'll keep an eye on that. Oh. Sadly, <laughs> several things this week that we've been keeping an eye on, and they still haven't ended well. Yeah, I do. Uh, we, we have kind of an interesting and uh, non-traditional lineup this week. Let's get into it. But first, we will start with our This Week in Tech History segment. This week, on May 19th, 1980, the Apple Three was announced. It would ship in November, at which point the first 14,000 Apple Threes off the line were recalled. The machine would be reintroduced again in November of 1981. Long story short, the Apple Three was a flop. Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak attributed the machine's failure to it being designed by marketing people instead of engineers. Ouch. I don't know what to say to that, Doug. <laughs> I'm trying not to smirk. As a person who considers himself a technologist and not a marketroid, I think it was meant to look good and look cool. It was meant to capitalize on the Apple II's success. But my understanding is that the Apple III A could not run all Apple II programs, which was a bit of a backward compatibility blow. And B just wasn't expandable enough like the Apple II was. I don't know whether this is an urban legend or not, but I have read that the <laughs> early models did not have their chips seated properly in the factory, and that recipients who were reporting problems were told to lift the front of the computer off their desk a few centimetres and let it crash back, which would like, <laughs> bang right. them into place like they should have been in the first place, which mm -hmm. apparently did work, yeah. but was not the best sort of advert for the quality of the product. Exactly. All right, let's get into our first story. This is a cautionary tale about how bad inside threats can be and perhaps how difficult they can be to pull off as well, Paul. Indeed it is, Douglas. And if you're looking for the story on nakedsecurity.sophos.com, it's the one that is captioned, Who done it? Cybercrook gets six years for ransoming his own employer. And there you have the guts of the story. That's Shouldn't laugh, but yeah, that's... The... <laughs> It is kind of funny and unfunny, because if you look at how the attack unfolded, it was basically, hey, someone's broken in. We don't know what the security hole was they used. Let's, let's burst into action and try and find out. Oh, no, the attackers have managed to get sysadmin powers. Oh, no, they're sucked up gigabytes of confidential data. Oh, no, they've messed with the system logs, so we don't know what's going on. Oh, no, now they're demanding 50 bitcoins, which at the time was about 2 million US to keep things quiet. Obviously, we're not going to pay two million as a hush job. And bingo, the crook went and did that traditional thing of leaking the data on the dark web, basically doxing the company. And unfortunately, who done it, question mark, is answered by one of the company's own sysadmins. In fact, one of the people who'd been drafted into the team to try and <laughs> find and expel the attacker. So he was quite literally was pretending to fight this attacker by day and negotiating a $2 million blackmail payment by night. And even worse, Doug, it seems that when they became suspicious of him, which they did, let's be fair to the company, I'm not going to say who it was, let's call them Company One, 
like the US Department of Justice did, although their identity is quite well known. His property was searched and apparently they got hold of the laptop that later turned out was used to do the crime and questioned him. And he kind of went on to the offences, the best form of defence process, and pretended to be a whistleblower and contacted the media with some alter ego and gave a whole false story about how the breach had happened and it was poor security on Amazon Web Services or something like that. So it made it seem in many ways, much worse than it was. And the company's share price tumbled quite badly. It might have dropped anyway when there's news that they've been breached, but it certainly seems that he went out of his way to make it seem much worse in order to deflect suspicion from himself, which fortunately did not work. He did get convicted while he pleaded guilty, and like we said in the headline, six years, then three years of parole, and he has to pay back a penalty of $1.5 million. You can't make this stuff up. Uh, great advice in this article. There's three pieces of advice. I love this first one. Divide and conquer. What do, you, what do you mean by that, Paul? Well, it does seem that in this case, this individual had too much power concentrated in his own hands. It seems that he was able to make every little part of this attack happen, including going in afterwards and messing with the logs and trying to make it look as though other people in the company did it. So just to show what a terribly nice chap he was, he did try and stitch up his co-workers as well, so they'd get into trouble. And if you make certain key system activities require the authorization of two people, ideally even from two different departments, just like when, say, a bank is approving a big money movement, or when a development team is deciding, let's see whether this code is good enough, we'll get someone else to look at it objectively and independently, that does make it much harder for a lone insider to pull off all these tricks because they'd have to collude with everyone else that they'd need the co-authorization from along the way. Okay, and along the same lines, keep immutable logs. That's a good one. Yes, <laughs> those listeners with long memories may recall worm drives. They were quite the thing back in the day. Write once, read many. And of course, they were touted as absolutely ideal for system logs because you can write to them, but you can never rewrite them. Now, in fact, <laughs> I don't think that they were designed that way on purpose. I just think nobody knew how to make them rewritable yet. But it turns out that that kind of technology was excellent for keeping log files. If you remember early CDRs, CD recordables, you could add a new session. So you could record, say, 10 minutes of music and then add another 10 minutes of music or another 100 meg of data but you couldn't go back and rewrite the whole thing. So once you'd locked it in, somebody who wanted to mess with the evidence would either have to destroy the entire CD, so it would be visibly absent from the chain of evidence, if you like, or otherwise damage it. They wouldn't be able to take that original disc and rewrite its contents so they showed up differently. And of course, there are all sorts of techniques by which you can do that in the cloud. And if you like, this is the other side of the divide and conquer coin. What you're saying is that you have lots of sysadmins, lots of system tasks, lots of daemon or service processes that can generate logging information, but they get sent somewhere where it takes a real act of will and cooperation to make those logs go away or to look other than what they were when they were originally created. And then last but certainly not least, always measure, never assume. Absolutely. It looks as though Company Dash One, in this case, did 
manage at least some of all of these things ultimately because this chap was identified and questioned by the FBI I think within about two months of doing his attack and you know, investigations don't happen overnight they require a warrant for the search and they require probable cause so it looks as though they did do the right thing and that they didn't just blindly continue trusting him just because he kept saying he was trustworthy. His felonies did come out in the wash, as it were, but it's important that you do not consider anybody as being above suspicion. Okay, moving right along. Gadget maker Belkin is in hot water, basically saying end of life means end of updates for one of its popular smart plugs. It does seem to have been a rather poor response from Belkin, certainly from a PR point of view. It hasn't won them many friends because the device in this case is one of those so-called smart plugs. You get a Wi-Fi enabled switch. Some of them will also measure power and other things like that. So the idea is you can then have an app or a web interface or something that will turn a wall socket on and off. So it's a little bit of an irony that the fault is in a product that, if hacked, could lead to someone basically flashing a switch on and off that could have an appliance plugged into it. I think if I were Belkin, I might have gone, look, we're not really supporting this anymore. But in this case, yeah, we'll push out a patch. And it's a buffer overflow, Doug, (laughs) plain and simple. But, (laughs) oh dear. When you plug in the device, it needs to have a unique identifier name so that it will show up in the app, say, in your phone. If you've got three of them in your house, you don't want them all called Belkin Wemo Plug. You want to go and change that and put what Belkin call the friendly name in there. And so you're going with your app and you type in the name you want. Well, it appears that there is a 68-character buffer in the app on the device itself for your new name, but there's no check that you don't put in a name longer than 68 bytes. Foolishly, perhaps, the people who built the system decided that it would be good enough if they simply checked how long the name was that you typed into your phone when you use the app to change the name. We'll avoid sending names that are too long in the first place. And indeed, in the app, you can't even put in apparently more than 30 characters. So they're being extra super safe. Big problem. What if the attacker decides not to use the app, (laughs) but to use a Python script that they Hmm. wrote themselves? Why would they do that? doesn't bother checking for the 30 or 68 character limit. And that's exactly what these researchers did. And they found out because it's a stack buffer overflow, they could control the return address of a function that was being used. And they could, with enough trial and error, they were able to deviate execution into what's known in the jargon as shell code of their own choice. Notably, they could run a system command, which ran the wget command, which downloads a script, make the script executable and run it. Okay, well, we've got some um, advice in the article. If you have one of these smart plugs, check that out. I guess the bigger question here is, assuming Belkin follows through on their promise to not fix this, (laughs) (laughs) basically, how hard of a fix is this, Paul? Would this be good PR to just plug this hole? Well, I don't know. There might be many other apps that, oh dear, they have to do the same sort of fix to. So they might just not want to do this for fear that someone will go, well, Let's dig slope. deeper. I mean, that would be a that would be a bad reason not to do it. Mm-hmm. I would have just thought, given that this is now well known, and given that it seems like an easy enough fix, just a recompile the apps 
for the device with stack protection turned on if possible, and B, at least in this particular friendly name-changing program, don't allow names longer than 68 characters. It doesn't seem like a major fix. Although, of course, that fix has to be coded, it has to be reviewed, it has to be tested, a new version has to be built and digitally signed, it then has to be offered to everybody, and lots of people won't even realise it's available, and what if they don't update? It would be nice if those who are aware of this issue could get a fix, but it remains to be seen whether Belkin will expect them to simply upgrade to the newer version. All right, on the subject of updates, we have been keeping an eye, as we say, on this story. We've talked about it several times. Clearview AI, France has this company in its sights for repeated defiance, and it's uh, almost laughable how bad this has gotten. So this company scrapes uh, photos off the internet and maps them to uh, their respective humans, and law enforcement uses this search engine, as it were, to uh, look up people. Other countries have had problems with this too, but France has said this is PII. This is personally identifiable information. Yes. Please stop doing this. And Clearview didn't even respond. So they got fined 20 million euros and uh, they just keep going. And France is saying, okay, you can't do this. We told you to stop. We're going to get even uh, come down even harder on you. We're going to charge you 100,000 euros every day and then backdated it to the point that it's, it's already up to 5.2 million euro. And, um, Clearview's just not responding. It's just not even acknowledging that uh, there's a problem. That certainly seems to be how it's unfolding, Doug. Interestingly, and in my opinion, quite reasonably and, and very importantly, when the French regulator looked into Clearview AI at the time they decided you're not going to play ball voluntarily, so we're going to fine you 20 million euros, they also found that the company wasn't just collecting what they consider biometric data without getting the consent. They're also making it incredibly and needlessly and unlawfully difficult for people to exercise their right, A, to know that their data has been collected and is being used commercially, and B, to have it deleted if they so desire. Those are rights that many countries have enshrined in their regulations. It's certainly, I think, still in the law in the UK, even though we are now outside the European Union, and it is part of the well-known GDPR regulation in the European Union. If I don't want you to keep my data, then you have to delete it. And apparently Clearview was doing things like saying, oh, well, if we've had it for more than a year, it's too hard to remove it. So it's only data we've collected within the last year. <laughs> so that, like, if you don't notice or you only realise after two years, too late. Mm-hmm. And then they were saying, oh, no, like, you're only allowed to ask twice a year. I think when the French investigated, they also found that people in France were complaining that they had had to ask over and over and over again before they managed to jog Clearview's memory into doing anything at all. So who knows how this will end, Doug? This is a good time to hear from several readers. We usually do the comment by uh, one reader, but you ask at the end of this article, if you were king, queen, president, supreme wizard, glorious leader, chief judge, lead arbiter, high commissioner of privacy, and could fix this issue with a wave of your wand, a stroke of your pen, a shake of your scepter, a Jedi mind trick, how would you resolve this standoff? And to just uh, pull some quotes from our commenters off with their heads, corporate death penalty, classify them as a criminal organization, higher-ups should be jailed until the company complies, declare customers to be co-conspirators, hack the database and delete everything, create new laws, and then James dismounts with, I fart in your general direction, your mother was a hamster, and your father smelt of elderberries, which I think might be a comment on the wrong article. I think there was a 
Monty Python quote in the Who Done It article. But James, thank you for jumping in at the end there. <laughs> Shouldn't really laugh. Didn't one of our commenters say, "Hey, apply for what's an, an Interpol red notice"? <laughs> yeah. Well, great. As we are want to do, we will keep an eye on this because I I can assure you this is not over yet. Well, if you have an interesting story, comment, or question you'd like to submit, we'd love to read on the podcast. You can email tips at sophos.com. You can comment on any one of our articles, or you can hit us up on social at Naked Security. That's our show for today. Thank you very much for listening. Paul Ducklin, I'm Doug Amoth, reminding you until next time to stay, stay secure. secure.